Guys, welcome to the podcast. This is going to be kind of a fun little series that we're going to do on coos deer hunting. And I'm going to go back through the 600 and some episodes and find some of the best coos deer episodes that we've done here. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. We've got coos deer hunts going all over uh, central and southern Arizona right now. And we've got the December, uh, mid-December hunts coming up here quick and the OTC December and January archery hunts. So I figured you guys had coos on the brain. I'm going to try and pull some of the best stuff uh, over the last four years. So uh, guys, before we get to that episode, I want to thank you for your avid support of this podcast. Uh, you guys show loyalty to this podcast and it's amazing. I'm very appreciative of that. If you guys have any questions at all or comments, you can reach me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram at jscottoutdoors. Uh, love to hear from you guys. Thanks for all of the support. And I also hear from my sponsors uh, virtually every day about uh, how much support you guys give them. So I want to thank you guys for that. I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. And right now, uh, there's Black Friday sales going on at GoHunt.com. Uh, go check it out. There's anywhere from 25 to 50% discounts. Uh, some really cool stuff out there. Plus, you get a chance to win a free elk hunt. So go check it out. Uh, I also want to thank uh, my friend Cody Nelson. He's the optics manager there at GoHunt.com. If you guys have any optical needs at all, if you have any questions in regard to glassing, or if you're looking to purchase any optics, whether it be binos, tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, uh, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also send him an email directly at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. also want to remind you guys uh, that you can check out the Go Hunt Insider, get a little bit of a jump start on application season. Go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. Uh, that's going to get you a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. Uh, I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu gear is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Uh, you can go on my Instagram page uh, routinely throughout the week. I'm answering questions. A lot of those questions pertain to Kuyu gear. Uh, Kuyu gear, if you want to know more about it, you can also go to Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, and Kuyu Ultralight Hunting Gear, I've been wearing it since 2010, and if you guys haven't tried it, you need to. It's awesome stuff. They also have some great sales going on right now. I uh, also want to thank Phonescope.com. If you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount, and OnXMaps.com. Right now, a special uh, for a few more days, if you use the Thanks30 so go to onxmaps.com, use the thanks30. You're actually going to get a 30% discount. Normally here at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, you get a 20% discount for using J. Scott 19. But if you want 30% discount, go to onxmaps.com, thanks30. Um, and I want to thank them for their sponsorship. Guys, let's get right to this series on coos deer hunting. And again, thanks for all your support. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. Let, let's flip that around. Um, I also think big bucks can be found in some of that flatter desert country that's maybe more open, more Ocotillo, more, you know, deserty um, from a from a standpoint of maybe that country doesn't get overlooked. Dwayne made a good point about, you know, the middle of the mountain. 
and he finds deer either high or way low. What's your thoughts on bucks that are that are down in the desert or, you know, down on the transition where the desert floor, you know, just hits the hills. What's your thought on finding a big buck low? Well, it's, it's certainly possible. You know, you got guys killing really big bucks down low every year. And I think that, uh, with the deer densities being lower, that is certainly keeping the majority of the hunters out of there. Uh, you know, I can tell you that the buck that I, I killed, uh, just a few days ago, uh, he he was he happened to be in some lower country, and but it's 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 kind of not easy easily accessible, and the deer density is low, and and uh, and frankly that's what I had that day was I needed I needed a day hunt and I didn't have time to to backpack in, in anywhere, and uh, we were fortunate enough to to find that deer and he's he's a he's a great buck a buck that most people would love to shoot yeah it's like 108 or 9 inches isn't he yeah yeah he went he scored 109 inches yeah beautiful buck um how many bucks how how many big bucks how many bucks you know let's say 105 or better i mean how many of those have you killed have you killed a bunch of you know, big, big bucks. No, I, I really haven't Jay. Uh, I shot, I've killed two bucks over 120. Uh, I shot that 109 inch buck. Um, not, not, uh, just a few days ago. And I've killed a few others in the, in the hundred inch class. What would you say the biggest coos deer buck you've ever seen is Jake? Well, we just killed him last week, and he was 132 inches with Mark Hardy. So Hardy's buck. Okay, and uh, the two over 120 that you killed, um, is there any direct correlation between those two bucks as far as you know type of terrain that they live in, area that they live in, you know, certain side of the hill? I always try and find variables that are similar. Is is there any similarities in those two bucks or where they were found or anything like that? Yeah, I think so. I think the common denominator will always be in country that most people don't want to go. And uh, uh, that's exactly where uh, back in 2009 when, when my good friend Andy and I found the 127-inch buck that that I killed. Uh, we just happened to be in country that, uh, was really difficult to get into and it was a long ways to go. So, uh, same thing, uh, two years ago, the buck that I found, I had been watching that buck since the previous year and I kept tabs on him all year long and, uh, just, just difficult country, difficult terrain and, and even difficult, uh, vegetation and, topography to glass into also let's talk about that buck uh not the 127 i believe you said it was like 122 inch deer two years ago uh he he's 120 and some change a little over 120 yeah okay 120 and change and you you got to see him quite a bit um from the first time you saw that buck to the time you killed him give me a rough how many times did you actually see him with your eye well I feel like I was pretty fortunate that um, 
almost every time I got up on the mountain to look for him, I could find him. Uh, and the year prior to that, when I had a tag, uh, it took me a couple of days to find him. But when I did, uh, I could get in, get in on him pretty easy. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I didn't take him or I should say, fortunately, because he, he grew several more inches the next year. Uh, but, uh, when, from that moment on, when I did not shoot him in 2013, uh, I had a game plan and I felt like he was pretty, that was his home area. And, and it all really seemed to work out with, uh, getting trail camera pictures of him and even getting up on the side of the mountain and glassing him up as well. Okay. So I gather that you had the tag in 2013 and you found the deer then, what was it that didn't allow you to kill that deer? What mistakes or what did you do? What did you do? You know, I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to find out what happened. Why did well, you kill the deer in 2013? What what happened? What? Well, I think, I think a lot of it had to do with, I just uh, initially for the first few days of the hunt, I just wasn't in the right spot. I, I, uh, to glass him from, you mean, or that's, that's correct. Yeah. The angle, I guess I should say where he spent the majority of his time. And it wasn't until the end of that, that hunt in 2013 that I, I just, we, we finally found the right angle. And, And a lot of that has to do with just studying maps and finding different points that you feel like would give you a better look. Combine that with the fact that I was carrying a muzzle loader. Uh, that, that had a little bit to do with it also. So the last day of the hunt, I got within 75 yards of him, but it just got too dark and, uh, I just couldn't make it happen. So I had a game plan set for the next year and it all worked out. That's awesome. Um, tell me about, tell me about from in 13, you didn't get him shot. You got 75 yards from him. What was he a, a mid-teens buck then, or what was he? I'd say he's low, low teens. Um, you know, one, uh, maybe one, one ten to one twelve, maybe one thirteen is what he was the year before. Okay, and then fast forward, was he your target buck uh, from then on out for the next year? And did you focus and say that's the buck that I want to kill? Absolutely. I, I had no and, other buck in mind unless something happened to pop up, but every, um, all the time that I had to dedicate was towards that one specific buck. Okay. Did you nickname him or anything? You know, I, I, I didn't, uh, o- only, only because other than just being a big three by three, he wasn't super unique. Now the year I shot him, uh, he was, uh, a much bigger frame three by three with a drop time. But, uh, up until that point, he was just a big frame three point. Okay. So he's your target buck. Did you go in and uh, I'm trying to get it. Did you go in and carpet bomb his area, so to speak with trail cameras so that you could know every pattern and, and get every, you know, type of picture and, and try and learn as much about him as you could. And were you successful with that? Yeah, I was. Uh, it, it definitely with uh, a couple of trail cameras, I, I managed to to figure out where exactly this buck was living, 
and it um, it it helped tremendously. What kind of home range do you feel that that buck had compared to Hardy's buck? I, I think I think that buck had a, a larger home range than the Hardy buck. Uh, Did, was that dictated by more open country or 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 just the terrain he was living, or or do you think it was just that particular buck's um, uh, characteristic? Well, I can tell you the vegetation is 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 probably a little bit different. It, it's a little bit more open where I killed that deer. So, uh, uh, that could be why his range was a little bit more, but, uh, uh, the, the hardy buck, uh, where he, where he killed his deer, that vegetation was much thicker, much more difficult to glass. Okay. So, um, I've got a real, I'm tr- trying to go in a real precise direction here. So you, you saw the buck in 2013. He was your target buck. You ended up killing him in 2014. Were you able to go and watch him in January during the rut? And if, if so, was he rutting this, this 2014 buck, was he rutting in a similar area from where his home range, or did he go off the charts and was gone and then came back? I, I want to know about, does he stay in his home range to rut or did he leave? Well, I can tell you, Jay, I, I, I was not able to get up there and, and watch during the rut, uh, but I did have some cameras in there and I was still unable to even capture him dur- during the rut as well. Um, and so so uh, I, I can't even tell you if he stayed right there or if he went anywhere else. I can tell you that, that there was certainly all the water feed and does that he needed where he easily could have stayed right there. Interesting. I'm always so curious because these coos bucks have such a, a tight home range, you know, say 11 months out of the year. Um, and certainly you, you discussed a real tight range, you know, july august september october um it seems like a lot of times these bucks will just kind of go off the radar so to speak during the rut you know the month of january and just go go haywire but then i've talked to some guys that you know a buck they've been watching in their in their home range you know is right there rutting around in that same area in your experience would you say that coos bucks tend to just stay you know, if, if, if Hardy's buck had an 800 to a thousand home range, um, and, and this buck you said had a little bit bigger in general, from your knowledge, do you think coos bucks typically just, you know, could go a mile or two away and rut somewhere completely different and then come back? Or do you think that they're generally within, you know, somewhere in that home core range when, during the rut? You know, Jay, I, I, this is this is what I believe. I believe they're generally still within their home range. Our, our deer densities, once again, I think it depends upon that. But um, if if you get into some country that that holds a, a good amount of deer, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure why a buck feels that he needs to go anywhere else. Uh, so that's that's just been my experience. That's kind of how how I feel. There's always exceptions, but generally that's what I think happens. Fair enough. Um, 
what advice could you give to coos deer hunters uh, hunting these October and November, what I call early season hunts? Um, what are, what are some tips that you would you would give give these uh, guys? Okay, some some tips. You know, Jay, I've got I've got a little acronym that I'm going to share with you that you might think it's funny, but it's something I came up with a long time ago, and it it's something that kind of makes sense in my head on what it takes to to to, to grow a big deer and uh or, or i guess maybe any antlered animal but it's called the gamma factor okay g-a-m-m-a and okay and when the g stands for genetics a buck has got to have good genetics without genetics he really doesn't mean much or i should say he's not going to grow into much yeah and the a the the, the a is is going to be age i think a buck's got to hit his prime uh you know when you're hunting country that has a lot of animals uh that's where you're going to see the majority of the hunters and it's it's difficult for a buck to reach his prime where there's a lot of hunters and so the next m is going to be moisture and moisture is directly related to feed as well and all these factors i think need to come into play in order for a buck to to really reach reach his potential uh the next m is 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 going to be mountain lion or man and that's just predators in general all all that all about that hunting pressure and the last a is accessibility how difficult is it for for you as a hunter to get into to that country um, to even hunt that buck and that i think the gamma factor is what produces these really big bucks. So I think if you're hunting an October hunt, a November hunt, if you consider all of those factors, I think you can be successful in killing big deer. That's, that's just, that's how I believe. I believe strongly in that. I, I think that's awesome. Gamma. I wrote all these down. Genetics, age, moisture, mountain lion or man, and A for accessibility. In your mind, is genetics number one? Is that is that why it's at the... T- are, are these in order of importance or or do you feel that they're all important? And do you feel like genetics is absolutely number one in harvesting a big buck? Uh I, I do, Jay. You know, I, I look at, I'm sure you're familiar with Kenny Ball. Kenny oh, Ball yeah. killed, Kenny Ball killed one of the most incredible bucks ever uh, taken on public land. Yeah. I, w- I was fortunate. That's 15, 20 years ago. I, I went down and interviewed him. I was working for Trophy Hunter Magazine at the time and first time I met Kenny and what a buck, man. Unbelievable buck. But yes, go ahead. Well, Kenny, uh, yeah, tremendous, tremendous buck. And I believe the year prior to that, that buck was in the 120s. And then the year Kenny shot him, he was in the 150s. And so you found a buck that uh, nine out of 10 hunters would have easily killed him while he was in the 120s and uh, been happy for the rest of their lives uh, for for reasons um only known to that deer, he lived one more year and he reached what most would argue was his 
prime, his potential, and to grow 30 inches, 30 plus inches in one year um, was something that I'm sure Kenny and and all those others that were involved uh, were pleasantly surprised to see. So obviously that deer had the the genetics, and 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 that's why I kind of well that and I couldn't figure out another word for in order for it to make sense. So gamma just kind of flowed together. <laughs> But yeah, that's why that's why you know it's got to have the genetics, and you know they can reach uh, six, seven, eight, nine years old, and if they don't have the genetics, it doesn't really matter. And if they have the genetics, but they are getting shot at two years old, then once again, it it doesn't matter either. I helped a a good friend of mine shoot a great deer several years ago that uh, in 2011. Uh, I, I had him on game camera and, and I, he was so small that I don't even think I ever scored him on the hoof. He was probably a 70, 70 inch deer. And the next year uh, we shot him and he was 108. And so he scored uh, 38. He, he, he grew in my estimation, 38 inches in one year. And uh, I actually didn't even know that, that, he was the same buck until I happened to be going through old trail camera pictures from the year before. So, uh, once in a great while, you'll get these bucks that they say do blow up. And I think that they are the exception, but, uh, it's, it's, it's all about genetics and when they're, when they're supposed to hit their prime. Okay. A question. I totally agree with you. A question in your opinion, when is, a deer's prime. I know it's probably different with every deer, but if you had to, if you had to say at four years old or at six years old or at when is like when do you feel like a, it's a deer's prime? I I think it's probably safe to say right around that five year mark. Uh, it's it's difficult. You know, Mark shot a Mark shot a hundred and twenty inch deer uh, quite a few years ago that. Uh, Jim Heffelfinger aged at three and a half. So you never know. Was that deer going to be something pretty special at five and a half? We'll never know, but, uh, you know, the biologists seem to have a pretty good handle on it. And and they say five, and that's probably closer to what I believe, what what I think is true also. You know, going with the, the first M in gamma moisture, um, do you feel like coos deer antlers are affected by moisture like some of the other animals such as elk and mule deer and such? Do you feel like the, the, the moisture plays as big a role as it does, say, in those other animals' antler configurations or, or development? For, for, sure the, for sure they do. Now, our coos deer are pretty adaptable, and in a lot of the country that they live in, water... Uh, a lot of springs and 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 our our spring runoffs and snow melts and stuff like that provide a pretty good amount of water, but they absolutely do. Uh, Mark and I have a buck on camera from a few years ago that uh, looked like he was going to have great potential, and then the the next year it was a really bad dry year, and he was he was a little bit smaller. And then you fast forward to the next year when you got more moisture and he grew 
relatively bigger the way that we were kind of expecting him to. So I think moisture definitely plays a big part in it. Okay. Speaking about moisture, most of our southern Arizona moisture is monsoonal moisture. One of the challenges is 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 this when dealing with moisture. Do you think it's the moisture from okay, so let's back up. The deer start growing their antlers in June, right? May, June, yeah. kind of kind of that yeah. that time frame. Yeah. And typically it doesn't start raining until 4th of July, say July 1st, that's when the monsoon kind of starts. Okay. Do you think the the monsoonal moisture, if if we have good early monsoonal moisture that year, do you think it that directly affects those antlers that year, or do, are you talking about moisture from the prior year before, uh, or, or even during the winter? I, I guess my question is, do you see bucks blow up when we directly have a big monsoon that year? Or is it from the monsoon from the prior year? Do you understand my question? Yeah, I, I think so, Jay. I think it's probably closer to that year, uh, whether it's the 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 late winter and, and early spring rains or it's the great monsoons that you get that year. I that's that's my opinion. I think so. Okay, I mean it. May, it makes sense that as those deer are growing, if they're getting great nutrients and you know stuff's really blooming and blossoming. And you know they're 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 able to get that all the necessary nutrients that they're blowing you know as it's raining they're feeding and it's you know going straight into their their antlers that that would make sense to me it would be interesting you know to see three or four you know I'd love to see it it seems like we've been in a drought but l love to see you know two three four great monsoons what it would do to our coos deer oh yeah that would be. Yeah, that would be really neat to see. Jake, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, I know you're busy. I appreciate you spending some time with us. I'd love to do it again. And um, congratulations on uh, your deer this year and, and you and you and Mark and, and Mark's deer and some of the great deer that you've killed in the past. Do you feel like kill, you know, being involved with the deer like Hardy's deer and some of the deer, I mean, at, at some point in time, does it ever, you know, does the passion wane, meaning, you know, we've killed some big deer or does it make it, does the disease get even worse? <laughs> well, it, it wanes, it wanes on the hike, uh, on the hike out in the next three days. So we, we, I can tell you, I can tell you that we, <laughs> we, we, we have big plans of becoming mule deer hunters as we're recovering. Yeah, uh, exactly. but, but it doesn't take long. Uh, and it's seeing the other pictures of, of great bucks being killed. And it's, it's, uh, in the back of your mind that, that Canyon, that, that is just, uh, a little bit further in that you've always wanted to check out and maybe that one game camera that you left out and you haven't checked it yet that you, you always anticipate that something else is on there or something else uh, is, is, is lurking behind that tree that you just haven't looked in. And, and uh, uh, that's why, that's why we do it, Jay. It's just yeah. the anticipation of, of what's out there and, 
and you just keep you just keep going and you keep pushing yourself as hard as you can and the 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 addiction to coos deer hunting is is as strong and and uh, as as big as as anything else and and so it, it challenges you mentally and physically and if you're not up for the challenge then you just become a mule deer hunter right <laughs> i love it the other day i was telling daigo man with all that we got going on and all that you know hunting this and hunting that and whatever i said why is it that my mind is always going back to coos deer and it's always <laughs> going back to thinking about some bit of country and you're like god I, I need to get up in there and i wonder what's over there and you know, it, it's just crazy how coos deer hunters, we we all kind of have that same burning, you know, thing in the bottom of our belly that just, we just want to go over that next ridge. And, you know, I don't know what it is. Um, it, it, they're an amazing deer. And it's great to talk to uh, other guys like yourself that have extreme passion. And um, you guys have had unbelievable success. And, you know, let's face it, though. You you guys have worked your butt off, and let's face it, you guys have put in the time, and um, it doesn't just happen. The success that I'm talking to the listeners here, the listeners, you guys, a guy like Jake and his buddies, it doesn't just happen. They didn't just all of a sudden, it you know, big deer. I mean, these guys have been grinding. They're they're out there in the summer, and they're they're hauling salt around and they're they're hiking their butts off and they're going days and not seeing the good buck they want to see and you know it's a grind isn't it jake uh, ab- absolutely jay there's no there's no question about that i feel pretty fortunate that at an early age when i started coos deer hunting uh i i was taught by some some pretty uh um, knowledgeable guys guys who were doing it the right way in the in the 90 early 90s that binoculars and tripods and and doing it the way that we do it today and and so uh i i tried to i tried to always associate myself with those people who were most successful and it it's you know and i'll I'll be honest with you mark has made me a, a far better coos deer hunter than i ever was and i'd like to think that i've rubbed off a little bit on him as well so it's it's kind of who you associate with and then you find out those people who are successful and you just kind of pick their brains apart and you just do what they do and eventually it'll it'll work out if you yeah, if you just keep keep doing it it's it's going to work it takes time you know it took yeah. me it took me quite a bit of time before I killed my first big buck but there's no substitute for time i'll tell you that much yeah that's a that's a great point uh so who's going to win the big game this year? Um, obviously, you, you you are a fan of that other school down there, and I'm a fan, of course, of you know Arizona's greatest college, you know Arizona State. Uh, yeah. Who who's gonna who's gonna win the big game? We might be on our sixth sixth quarterback by the time our game hits, though. <laughs> <laughs> we're down well, to the four-string quarterback, so that's my excuse for for right now. That's my excuse. Oh, we're talking football. Yeah. Well, that's. Well, is that there is any all... other sport? I mean, come well, on, let's not. Oh, that's a typical U of A response. You know, <laughs> always want to talk about basketball. Basketball is not a sport. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much, Jay. I'm an Arizona Wildcat fan, uh, but but I'm also a realist and. Uh, 
we we have a pretty unfortunate the Arizona Wildcat football team is is uh, hurting pretty bad. So I'll give I'll give ASU credit as hard as that is. I'll I'll give them credit where it's due. Uh, but you know the interesting thing about that rivalry is it's always a game. I should say it it, it, it is. turns out turns out I love it. Special. So you never you never know. But but uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to put any money on this game. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, I, you know, one thing that I love about the rivalry is I love, you know, all my buddies down in Tucson. My cousin went to U of A. You know, it's just a it's a fun thing throughout the year to be able to give each other, you know, a hard time and, and what have you. And I always say the only game I care about the whole season is the U of A game. I don't care if we win every other game. I don't care if we go to the Rose Bowl. I don't care. As long as we beat the U of A, but I say that in good fun. I've got uh, family and friends that uh, are, are, you know, U of A fans, and um, I think it's great that our state has a rivalry like this. It's always fun, and it's always a game. It doesn't doesn't seem to matter really who the favorite is. It, it, there's always crazy things that happen with you know block punts and kicks, and you know just just you know crazy stuff happens in those rivalry games, and it's. It's always fun to be able to rib guys like you and my cousin and you know a bunch of other guys that I know um, because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, there's been no. years when U of A you know was supposed to win and ASU wins and you know ASU was you know dominating on everything and all of a sudden U of A just smokes them. So I mean, it, that's the fun part of, about it. That's right. That's unpredictable. That's for sure. Right on, buddy. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, I, I, I want to give you a chance to let the listeners know you also guide um i believe for coos deer i want you to give the listeners uh, a place where they can follow you or find you or, or what have you well i i uh primarily right now I, I i guide for pat felt and arizona guided hunts uh i also do some hunting uh, i'm sorry some guiding for uh, rimrock outfitters and, and andrew knowlton and so uh, I kind of bounce around and, and try to associate myself with 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 good outfitters and good people. And uh, so those two right now are who I'm primarily guiding for. Right on. And you can follow um, Jake on Instagram at, uh, what is it, OCD, Coos? Coos OCD. Coos OCD. Okay, yeah, Coos OCD. And you can see some of the bucks that we've been talking about and um jake it's been great having you on and look forward to doing it again okay yeah thank you jay you take care